Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and we're going to begin today by turning to one of the most intriguing and uplifting passages in the Gospels. We're going to be turning to John chapter 1 and look at verses 1 through 3. Again, that's John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The passage tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. When we begin to even think about the life of Christ, we have to go back to before the beginning. Now the obvious question is, what beginning? And the answer would be the beginning of creation, the beginning of time. John starts his gospel with the same phrase used by Moses in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At the beginning, the word already was. The significance of that is that the essential elements of time are a beginning and an ending. With the word already existing at the beginning of time, the only possible conclusion is that the word must have been timeless. It had no beginning. The word existed at the beginning of creation and hence was not created. The word is eternal. Not only was the word eternal, the word was with God. And that means a great deal more than simple coexistence. It conveys the idea of active communication and sharing. By saying that the Word was with God, at least three different things are shown. First, the Word was coexistent with God in a personal way, as the presence of one person with another. Second, the separate personality of the Word of and God is emphasized. And thirdly, the inseparable relationship of Christ with God the Father is emphasized. There is still another point brought out in verse 1. Not only was the Word eternal and coexistent with God in a personal way, the Word was God. John did not write that the Word was a God. He did not write that the Word was the God. He simply wrote that the Word was God. While it may seem like a small thing, it speaks volumes about who Jesus is. The Word was eternal coexistent with God, and was God. That affirms his absolute deity, but at the same time recognizes separate personalities. It also affirms that the word was God in his nature and his being, having all the power and all of the attributes of deity. I like the way the Hebrew writer put it in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, when he wrote, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Now, 
Why is Jesus being referred to as the Word? Well, the basic meaning of Word, or Logos, is the expression of thought, not the mere name of an object. Really, it embodies a conception or idea. And as it relates to Jesus, it would imply the personal manifestation of not a part of the divine nature, but of the whole of the divine nature, the whole of deity. As we look back at John 1, we note in verse 3, all things came into being by him. All things indicates that all things, separate and particular, one by one, were created by Jesus. He was the agent of creation. The same idea is expressed in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where Paul wrote the following, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let's consider now John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. The Bible says, In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In the Lord Jesus was the very essence of life, full and complete. Through his life, light was given to men. It was the light that illuminates and appeals to reason and conscience and that promotes a response. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. But then verse 5 of John 1 does something very important. It introduces conflict. You see, the light came into the world and shone in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. This means that it did not perceive or understand. From the very moment that the light, Jesus, entered into the world, there was conflict between it and darkness, moral darkness. It is really interesting, too, that the light, Jesus, did not do away with the darkness, and the darkness did not overpower the light. The two coexist in the world. Now skipping down in John chapter 1, and read verses 10 through 14. It tells us he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was in the world, the very world that he had created. And if you think about it, he had been in it all the time, ordering it, controlling it, guiding it, or as the Hebrew writer said, upholding all things by the word of his power. And as Paul wrote in Colossians, Jesus was the one in whom all things hold together. This isn't talking about Jesus coming into the world just yet, but it is talking about his creative power 
and his sustaining power. The world of humanity should have at least recognized that deity was responsible for all that was, but for the most part they did not. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Not all would reject him. Some received him or believed on him, and to them he gave the right to become children of God. How did they exercise this right? How did they become the children of God? It was by being born, born again by water and spirit, as John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5 tells us. It was not by a natural birth, not of blood, and it was not by irrational will, nor the will of the flesh, and it was not by rational will, nor the will of man. It was spiritual, by the will of God. It is interesting as well that those who believed or received him were said to have been given the right to become children of God, not that they were the children of God already, merely on the basis of their belief. No, they had to be born again, and that is by water and the Spirit, and that is baptism. Finally, we find in verse 14 of John chapter 1, the incarnation, a truly incredible idea to contemplate. God was made flesh and tabernacled among man. Deity in the flesh, visible and tangible, walking the very streets of the world that he had created. When he came, men beheld his glory. In the Old Testament, the glory of God abode in the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 20, verses 34 and 35 describes that beautiful picture. With the coming of the word, God took up residence among men, and mankind was privileged to behold his glory. The uniqueness of the situation is indicated by the phrase, the only begotten from the Father. The incarnation was absolutely unique. Nothing like it had occurred before, and nothing like it has occurred since. The question is, will you receive him, believe on him, and in so doing be given the right by God to become a child of his? That is the question. Thanks for listening.